you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Matthew chapter 10. Let me see your Bibles or your iPod, iPad, whatever you want to say. We appreciate Kim uh, and all the hard work that she has put in the last several months uh, in building a website. The easy thing is to say, we need a new website. The difficult thing is to say, I'll do that. As you can imagine, I voted to not be the one to do that. In staff meeting this week, (laughs) but I think the website is great. Uh, Kim has the gift to put that together. I recognize my gifts, and that is not one of them. Jared, thank you for uh, filling in for Andy this morning and explaining that to us, but we just wanted you to know that it's there and kind of how to uh, navigate through it, I think is the right word. And so if you get lost, don't call me. Call Kim or somebody else. All right. How many of you liked the movie or have seen the movie, uh, Mr. Holland's Opus? Uh, raise your hand. Uh, it's a movie about an inspiring composer named Glenn Holland who takes a job as a high school band teacher. But his real passion isn't teaching. It's to compose a symphony. And so life has a way sometimes of edging out our dreams. And he spent the next 35 years teaching high school band, never being able to finish his symphony. Well, when he retires, all of his former students, you remember, they gather together in the auditorium to honor him. And one of his former teachers was now uh, currently a governor. And as she takes the podium, she says, we are your symphony, Mr. Holland. We are the melodies and the notes of your opus. We are the music of your life. You see, Glenn Holland learned the importance of multiplying his influence through other people. As we look at discipleship, and as we think about that story that I just told, I think one of the beautiful things in Scripture that we need to capture is this. We, as God's people, are the symphony. We are the music. We're the notes. And every day of life, as we have opportunity, we go out. And our life is on display to this world. So that when they see us, What they really see is not us, but they see Jesus living through our life. That's what discipleship is all about. I want to go back and remind us, a disciple is a student. It's one who learns, okay? It's one whose life is shaped by the teaching of the master, which in turn, now look at this, leads to a life that's molded and shaped into his image. And so every day, what we have opportunity to do is deny self and fall at the feet of Jesus and say, I want to be more like you. But it's one thing to say that. It's another thing to really have a life that says, that's really what I'm going to do. And so whatever changes need to take place in my life, I'm willing to do that. 
Remember Paul tells Timothy this, he says, you invest a message in other reliable men who will continue that discipling process. What does that discipling process look like? It's the goal of a disciple to make disciples who will make other disciples, who will make more disciples, who will make still more disciples. They influence. We have an influence over somebody else and we strive to influence them for the cause of Jesus Christ where they will want to influence somebody else. Now I want you to look in Matthew chapter 10 this morning. At the end of chapter 9, he begins by saying Jesus went through all the towns and villages, I'm in verse 35, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, when he looked out and saw the crowd of people, notice what he does. He has compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. But when I look out and realize the workers, what does he say about them? Harvest is plentiful, but the workers is few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And so with that background, he continues by calling his 12 disciples to him, and he gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And these are the names of the 12 apostles. Then he goes through those 12. Then I want you to look down in verse 5. These 12 that Jesus sent out with the following instructions. He says, do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans, you go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. This morning, right before church started, I was talking to Ora Henderson. Where is Ora? Ora, I love you to death, girl. I love your heart. And I love your spirit. Now, church, I want you to hear what she said to me this morning. She said, Patrick, you know, as you go through life, she said, one of the things that you begin to realize is that we need to be concerned about others. Well, she nailed it, didn't she, church? We need to be concerned about others. And I said, Aura, what's the opposite of that? If we're not concerned about others, then who are we concerned about? We're concerned about ourselves. Do you see what Jesus says here? He's, as he sends them out, he says, don't go among the Gentiles or any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Folks, Jesus is concerned about lost people. Amen? And in return, he wants you and I as his disciples, and as those who are learning to be like Jesus, his heart says, I want you to be like me in the sense that I want you to be concerned about lost people. 
You know what I think is sad today? I think we have reached a point in the life of the church where we are not as concerned about lost people because we're so busy taking care of ourselves. We're so busy trying to get things right and make things right and get life right, and that is good. But when you get your focus off of yourself and on to somebody else, especially those that are lost, because church, here's the deal. We have something that lost people need. We have Jesus. Jesus looks out to the crowd, has compassion, and he says, I want you to be concerned about lost people. And he goes on to say, as you go, preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you've received freely give. In other words, as you go out and as you see lost people, you're also going to see people who are sick, who are sick mentally, who are sick physically, who are sick in a spiritual sense. And he's given them the authority, you heal, you raise them up. In other words, you're giving them something to make them new again. And so in our life and as people of faith, what we begin to realize is God has something that we don't. And God gives us something that we need to pass on to somebody else. The healing power of Jesus Christ, stay with me church, I believe is still available right now. And that same power that raised us in baptism, that same resurrection power is still available to raise up anything that we go through right now. It is. It's available. It's just sometimes got your attention, didn't it? We don't tap into it. Because at times we like to try to tap into us instead of tapping into the power of God. And so as he sends them out, and as he drove them to other people, he commissioned them, as you would say, and he empowered them to realize the same power that I had to heal and to raise people, I'm giving it to you. Now go pass that on to somebody else. Don't take any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or staff for the worker is worth his keep. And so whatever town or village you enter, verse 11, search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. And as you enter the home, give it your greeting. And if the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it's not, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. Because I tell you the truth, it'll be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. And here's verse 16. And here's what it's like to be a disciple. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes 
and as innocent as doves. Now, I'm going to tell you, out of those assortments of animals, two out of three are pretty good. I can't stand snakes, dead or alive. Can I get an amen on that? Again, two out of the three are not bad. But let's see briefly this morning what he means by those three animals and how uh, those uh, figure into uh, our life as disciples. Let's look at sheep for a minute. What do sheep do? They follow. Whether it's another sheep or another person, sheep tend to follow somebody. Even children understand that. Go back to the nursery rhyme. Mary had a little lamb, and what did the lamb do? Followed her to school one day. But see, Jesus does more than just compare us to sheep. He said, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. And so when sheep smell a wolf nearby, they do two things. They bunch up close to each other, and they stick close by to the shepherd because they know if they don't do those two things, they're going to end up as mint jelly on the wolf's table. So this is what the first disciples of Jesus did. They stayed close to the shepherd. They followed him night and day. They went everywhere that Jesus went. And here's what they did. They not only learned his teachings, they watched his life. You see, as a disciple... As a student, as a learner, we not only look at the teachings, we look at the life that he lived. We look at the life that he took up, and in return, he offers and challenges us to do the same thing. Deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow me, he says. And so they saw him in the best of times, they saw him in the worst They saw him when he was rested, when he was weary. They saw him when he was happy, when he was sad. They were Jesus' disciples because they followed him daily. I want to ask you a series of questions this morning. Are you following Jesus? I mean, does he direct your life every day? To the point that you're learning something more about him and learning more about his way. And I like this question. Are you daily learning the Jesus way? And we live in a world today that we like to have it our way. Jesus comes along, turns that upside down, and he says, as a disciple, as one who learns, as one who follows me, you need to follow the Jesus way. Wouldn't our world be a brighter place? If we did that, to take up the cross and decide every moment of every day, of every meeting, of every game, of every whatever you're involved in, I'm going to do it Jesus' way. So in other words, do you look like a sheep? Look, look at the next one, a snake. If you think about it, oh, I can't even look at that picture. A snake knows when it's time to strike. But a snake also knows when to keep a low profile as to speak. Okay? You think about it. In the life that Jesus lived, 
The problem is that a naive Christian will try to strike in the wrong way and say the wrong thing at the wrong time. Church, let's face it. Have we ever been guilty as a child of God of saying something wrong to somebody? Have we ever been guilty of maybe passing a judgment on that we had no right of passing on? We have. That's why we've got to be careful. There's a time to speak and listen to me, and there's a time to keep your mouth shut. Sometimes, many times, we've got to learn when to do that. We've got to learn the difference. Because there are a lot of times when we should have spoke up and we didn't. And then there are those times when we spoke up and we're thinking right now, ooh, I wish I hadn't have said that. But hey, you know what? We live and learn. But you think about the life that Jesus lived. Look in verse 17 and how he struggles with this. He says, be on your guard against men. They'll hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. And on my account, you're going to be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, don't worry about what they say or how they say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, look at this, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, a father his child, children will rebel against their parents, have them put to death, and all men will hate you because of me. But he who stands firm in the end will be, what's the word? Will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. When you think about the different times and the different places where Jesus spoke, think about what Jesus would be up against if he walked in our streets today. The FDA would want him for turning water into wine, not to mention feeding 5,000 people without a permit. The AMA would cite him for practicing medicine without a license. He'd be wanted by the EPA for killing fig trees. OSHA would get him for walking on the water without a life jacket. And the city zoning department would be after him for building mansions without a permit. Jesus went against all odds, didn't he? And he did that for the sake of people. He did what he did, and he did what he had to do to pass his mission on to others. Truth is, every Christian needs to be shrewd if we ever hope to influence the culture we live in for Christ. And that's why Jesus again said, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as snakes. And then the last picture he gives is that of a dove. Now we know in Scripture the dove is a symbol of the Spirit of God. In fact, when Jesus was baptized... Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove. And so this last word picture shows that we don't have to participate with evil in order to recognize it. A disciple can be shrewd as a snake and still remain innocent 
as a dove. I like how Romans 16 says it. Be excellent in what is good, innocent of evil, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. Again, the only way that we have to be innocent as doves is every day of life is to become more and more like him. Look at verse 24. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. And if the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household. You know, a lot of times we're, we're familiar with the student and teacher relationship, sometimes more than the servant and master. I heard about a time when someone asked a professor about a younger man who had applied for a job, and he said, well, the young man tells me that he was one of your students. And the professor, in a very uh, shrewd way, said, well, he may have attended my lectures, but he was most certainly not one of my students. You see, there's a world of difference, and I want you to see this this morning. There's a world of difference between attending lectures and being a student, because a true student will be changed into the likeness of the teacher. And in the same way, a true disciple will be changed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And that's a process that you and I have to submit our lives to every day. That I want to become more and more like Jesus. Can you imagine the first disciples probably never dreamed that what they were getting themselves into was a three-year-long walking university with just Jesus as their professor. And so every day of their life for those three years, they saw it all. And they became more and more like their master. If we want to be disciples of Jesus, we've got to first of all become a follower. Because you see, a disciple is more than a follower. A disciple is a learner. We're learning Christ. We don't just learn facts about him. We don't just learn his philosophies or his teaching. We learn his way of life. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you know all 66 books of the Bible and can recite them all. That is great. But do you know Jesus? You can know the books and miss the man. You can know the message and still miss the main man. Where are you today? We want to be in life where we talk like him, where we think like him, where we smell like him. As Paul says, we are the aroma of Christ. Do you smell like a sheep? Do you smell like Jesus? And so look around this morning at this room. We need to fill this room with a bunch of snakes, not literally, and sheep and doves. And together, 
may we always say we are a church. I am a person, a disciple who is following him, who is learning from him, and who day by day is trying to become more and more like him. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing every day to say, this is who I want to be. This is what I want my life to look like and to resemble. Where are you this morning? Boy, we live in a time today where culture throws everything at us and we've got decisions to make. It's one thing to profess them right here in this room. It's another thing at your workplace and for our kids at their schools to stand up and say, I want to live life the Jesus way. May we collectively strive like we are daily to become more and more like the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And to God be the glory. Let's stand as we sing.